Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact, way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Marian Timelkov. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's uh, since we have a, an audience from all over the world, and we're on a mission to bring together uh, the most caring leaders from every corner of the world. Um, we have the privilege today to welcome uh, a great leader uh, and um, a founder and director of the Academy for Coaching Excellence, but also um, a leader that has served and made a profound difference in many different uh, areas. And we're going to talk today about leadership and trust. Maria Nemeth, thank you so much for joining today. And welcome. Where are you joining us from, first of all? I'm here in Sacramento, where we are so happy because um, we've been in a drought situation for a couple of years. And now we're getting rain and snow. And so all the farmers are happy, Marion, and uh, the skiers are happy. So it's a it's a time of joy. <laughs> Fantastic. I I, uh, I believe a lot of joy and great things are coming to us. And 2022 will be the uh, a year of uh, of excellence and prosperity. I, I truly believe. Despite the challenges we will face, we'll come out stronger. So um, it's uh, looking forward to the great things that are that are happening. Maria, um, you have so much uh, really experience and uh, life wisdom, but um, maybe if you share a brief introduction just just for the audience um, that don't know you, a few words about you and how did you um, decide to do what you do today? How did that sparkle came around? Well, thank you for asking. And um, just... uh, Bottom line, just in terms of my credentials, uh, and then I'm going to go into something more important than that. Uh, I'm a PhD psychologist, and I um, used to be a, a professor in a university here at the in California. Uh, I'm also a master certified coach through the International Coach Federation, uh, and I'm the director of the Academy for Coaching Excellence which is internationally known for training great uh, life coaches, executive coaches, leadership coaches. But um, I've, I've authored three books. The Energy of Money uh, is the second book and it <clears throat> seems to be very popular still, this uh, 25 years old, Marion. And, um, uh, but people are gravitating toward it because it's a spiritual guide to um, financial fulfillment. But the most important thing is this. Uh, I believe that it is possible to have a world in which everyone is supporting each other 100% and no one is being left out. I believe in that kind of a world where we can create and sustain trust and respect and dignity. I really believe that that's true. And, and I'm looking toward the next generations to be able to do that. And uh, my life really 
I've worked now for over 50 years, Marion, with people. Wow. Yes, I years. know. 50 years. Uh, and, you know, yeah, really, and, and it's been such a short time. It goes by in such a flash. But I've been privileged to work with some people who are eager to have a world in which people are supporting each other and generating trust. So I've, able, I've been able to develop some tools that people can use to do it. And out of that, I'm so thrilled that you uh, invited me here today. Well, thank you for joining. And uh, you, you've touched on a very dear topic that I'm personally very interested in, and this is leadership and trust. When it comes, mm. when it comes down to trust in leadership and organizations, in companies mm. especially, um, what is the situation out there? What is the problem? Do you, what problem do you see? Well, the problem I see uh, primarily is the that uh, with all the changes that have happened, you know, and I don't want to go to it through all the changes, but we know what we're talking about. And I know the listeners do too. <clears throat> People have been upset uh, on, a, on a continual basis, you know, and uh, when that upset happens, our brains, you know, one of the things I, uh, I is my subspecialty is, is how the brain functions. And one of the things that happens, Marion, when our uh, brain gets excited by the next crisis, the next big change, um, there's nowhere for us to rest. There's nowhere for us to just, you know, land and take a deep breath. And, you know, I, I, uh, the brain, our brain, uh, uh, first thing that I want everyone to know is, is something that I thoroughly have observed and believe in that you and I, we're not our brain. You have a brain. You have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, a brain. Your brain is an organ. You, who you are, is that which has the capacity to change your brain, to shift your brain. And <clears throat> we need to learn how to do that now more than ever when our brain is continually upset, Marion, by all these crises that happen. So um, the, the most important thing I, I wish for are uh, that crises and changes settle down so that we can breathe a little and take stock of who we are and what we truly want out of life. So this is a, a pivotal moment for all of us. I, uh, I, I you know, relate a lot when you say something like when you have a crisis, one day is a problem, whether that's in trust, leadership, organization, or what it is, worry, your brain doesn't rest. It's like doesn't. you're continuously worried. And, and of course, that's, that is a problem that affects everything. So the question is, how, what, what does, re, le, from your experience, you consult a lot of leaders. Mm. What do they struggle most with? Is it to rest from the problem, to find a safe space? Um, you, you know, what is your experience with leaders these days? How does over the years have, things have changed? Well, you know, I think you, you said it right there. Absolutely. Uh, you said it brilliantly, that there's no place to rest. 
no place to rest. Let me give you a quick history lesson. Mm -hmm. Very quick, okay? Um, science has shown uh, recently that our brain has not changed in over 100,000 years. That means the brain that you and I have is a brain that existed 100,000 years ago. Now, let's say that you and I <clears throat> are part of a tribe or we're living in a cave. Let's even say it's 50,000 years ago, okay? And you and I, we want to go out and get some food because we're hungry, okay? So we gather together and we start walking toward the mouth of the cave. Now, Marion, the minute you're, you start, you know, you're with me, we're 50,000 years ago, the minute you and your brain start leaving the cave, what's the first thing your brain is going to look for? Food. Really? What is your brain really? It's 50,000 years ago. Before food, what is your brain going to look for? Is it safe, maybe? safe? Exactly. Danger. Danger, you're right. Predators. Is it safe? Because you see, <clears throat> there are two basic errors we can make. The first error, with, with due respect, is to leave the cave thinking that there is a tiger out there and there really isn't one and the second error is to leave the cave thinking that there's no tiger out there it's safe let's just go for the food now mother nature mary would like us to make that first error a million times because if we make that second error even once I call it the type two error. We could get killed. That is thinking that there's no tiger out there. Oh, it's great. There's no tiger. And there really was. So the people who thought there was no tiger out there when there really was tended to get killed off. That leaves us who imagine there's a tiger out there when there may not be. You see, that leaves us with this brain that is always looking for danger first before anything. And that, I say, is at the, the heart of miscommunication, lack of trust, you know, uh, lack of creativity. Because look at this. Our brain, when we're upset a lot, uh, uh, our amygdala is being energized. That's the seat of fight, flight, or freeze, okay? The minute that amygdala gets energized, it hijacks any creative centers in your brain. I mean, can you think creatively when you're anxious? You will. You know, I always, I've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, I wonder when people work under high, high or severe pressure, like maybe in the Second World War, I was yeah. referring to, and they invented the nuclear bomb, I guess. So, so you know, you think of 
it's probably you know one of the most uh, you know devastating inventions that you could think of uh, today but that that was invented under pressure so how creative was that i don't know and then there's another element of um the renaissance when a lot of multidisciplinary knowledge come in into a safe place and they create uh, abundant prosperity and we see it's called the renaissance so i think um you know that I, I I ask myself this often this question and um, you know I don't know the answer and uh, I I also believe that when you're stressed out your creativity is significantly diminished yes or 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 I don't know if, if it disappears but then I question how did they came up with, with the bomb you know how how did that happen you know under so much stress and well, in the they, war times they, they probably yeah. surrounded those scientists with the optimum creative environment. So the scientists themselves may not have been so stressed, okay. you see. And uh, and there's records of, you know, when you really want the best out of people, what kind of environment do you put them in? And usually the ones in which they can ha take time out for play, for uh, talking with each other, for just, um, you know, being able to hang out together, uh, you know, Google uh, and uh, uh, Facebook in Silicon Valley. If you if you go there, uh, if, example for example, if you go to Google and see their offices. Now this was pre-pandemic. You'd see people playing ping pong. You'd see people uh, having uh, free food. Um, you know, they wanted to keep people. Uh, uh, creative and and relaxed and a lot of free-flowing information uh, across disciplines and so so the bottom line is for our conversation here um, it's difficult to create trust when you're upset it's mm -hmm. difficult to create trust when the person you're speaking with is upset and so the question becomes, what do you do about it? Because you and I, and most of the people on this planet have brains that will look for a predator before anything else, because it was up to our survival to be able to do so. So the brain nowadays, when we hear all of this upsetting news about all the things that are happening, it goes right to us. We start hyperventilating. We become stressed. And what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my my work? What's going to and and you know the minute you start doing that, um, there's no room for creating conversations filled with trust, is there? Which come you know brings me you know, to think how how does care and caring leadership contribute to building and developing trust? Oh, well, I think it's at the heart of building trust. And in a moment, uh, with your kind permission, I'm going to uh, demonstrate what I mean about ways to uh, create uh, trust. Please, that, you know, uh, happen that, that will be uh, fascinating to hear how to create trust uh, in, <laughs> in, in a situation, in an organization especially, how leaders can create trust. That would be fantastic to hear your thoughts on this. Great.
let, I'm going to draw something first. I want to, uh, and I, I'm going to explain to those of you who are listening and cannot see what I'm drawing, I will explain exactly what I am drawing. So um, I, oh, this was about 30 years ago, Marion, uh, when someone asked me in one of the seminars that I was leading uh, at our academy, they asked, uh, Maria, you know, you're a psychologist and um, you've studied the brain. Can you explain to me how it is that our brain creates our own experience of reality? Now, that was a huge question, but you know how it is uh, when you do a lot of reading and a lot of study and someone asks you a question, the answer begins to, to happen. I know that it's happened to you a lot. You've got a ver very creative mind. You know, someone will ask you a question and all of a sudden you find yourself coming up with a very creative answer and you might ask, where did that come from? And it came from all the studying that you've done, all the work that you've done in the past. And so it happened with me. I said, well, um, can we imagine four boxes? And interestingly, here, I've drawn mm -hmm. it here. Yeah, great. Um, I, I call it, incidentally, folks, uh, oh, excuse me for just a moment here. I have to adjust a, a speaker. It has four boxes. So mm -hmm. I call it the four box model. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very uh, deep, isn't it? Very deep, yep. the four box model. Okay, great. Yep. So we have four boxes. Now, in the first box, box number one, it's right here. I'm going to draw a C. So for the folks listening to me, imagine that you have four boxes and box number one is connected to box number two. Box number two then uh, has an arrow going to box number three. Box number three has an arrow going to box number four. And box number four goes back to box number one. So it's like a, it's like a four boxes are connected in, it's actually almost like a circular way. But what you have here is a model for how the brain creates its um, experience of reality. So the first, uh, in box number one, we put the, uh, I put a C, and that stands for conclusions. Now, our brain needs to uh, make sense of everything around it. You know, yep. our brain, it, it, really all our brain wants to do, Marion, is keep us safe. You know, that's from the prehistoric times. But if your brain doesn't know what's going on, it goes crazy for a moment. You know, uh, I was once skiing and I skied into a whiteout condition, meaning that there was snow all around me and I couldn't see my, my, my hands, I couldn't see my skis. I didn't know, Marion, whether, whether to keep skiing, in which case I'd bump into a tree or to stop in case, but once some, someone might bump into me, very scary. And I was panicked. 
And it only lasted two minutes, but it seemed like two hours. But my heart was beating. And if you had a video cam on me, you'd see someone absolutely, you know, terrorized because my brain couldn't figure out what was going on. So our brain has to figure out what's going on in any situation. It draws conclusions. A conclusion is a way of figuring out what's going on. Whether that conclusion is correct or not doesn't matter. It gives something the brain to hang on to. Now, the minute, Marion, the minute that we, our brain has a conclusion and we focus upon it, this is, goes to box number two, folks, for those of you who are listening. The minute you focus upon a conclusion, anything, your brain will act like a Google search engine to give you evidence to prove that that conclusion is correct. It's, I put an E in that second box. So we have a C in box number one leading to E in box number two. I think you can see it. Okay, good. Yep. And so if you want to, I mean, listen, with Google, type in any kind of a crazy something to have Google search for it. And sure enough, Google will give you evidence for it, you know? And for us, let's say um, I tell you, I really don't like my co coworker, Jim. I just don't like him. That's my conclusion. And let's say you try to talk me out of it. You know, like you're my friend and you say, listen, Maria, Jim is just new on the job. Um, why don't you like him? And I say, well, he's, he's like a micromanager. He keeps asking me all these questions. Now, you might say to me, well, Maria, are you sure he's micromanaging? Maybe he just wants to get to know you a little bit. Now, what is the first thing I'm going to do if you say that to me? Maria, you know, I don't know if you're correct. After all, he's new. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is try to argue you out of it. I'm going to point to all the ways in which I see that he's micromanaging, even when it's not true. You know, and... The more you question my conclusion, the angrier I'm going to get and the more evidence I'm going to give you, even if I'm having to make it up. And now I ask people, have you ever tried to win an argument by making up evidence to prove that you're correct? And, you know, by and large, people say, yeah, it's true. Now, so evidence, whatever you focus on, folks, anything you focus on, your brain is going to give you evidence for. If I focus on that Jim is a micromanager, sure enough, my brain is going to give me evidence for it. If I focus on that Jim just wants to be helpful, my brain is going to give me evidence for that. The question becomes... What is the conclusion that I'm interested in? 
Now, the third, so, uh, the evidence mm -hmm. I'm focused on will affect my behavior, how I behave. So I put an H in box number three, how I behave. The evidence, you know, if I think that Jim is a micromanager, with all that evidence, I'm going to behave toward him like that is true. And then finally, how I behave is how other people will start behaving around me. So let's say I'm talking to you, Marion, about this, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden, uh, Jim walks into the room, mm -hmm. right? And um, the minute he walks into the room, my question is, I'm centering this, the minute he walks into the room, my question is, uh, do I look very friendly? I'm giving you all this evidence for how he's a micromanager. Do I look very friendly when I'm talking to you? Seriously, do I look very friendly, Jim? No, probably you, you, you will, uh, you know, you, you'll behave because you made a conclusion that he's a micromanager. So you might, you might behave with your guard on and defending. Ex himself. You got it. You got it. <clears throat> That's it, sir. And this is, that is exactly what happens. If I think he's a micromanager, then he, let's say he walks into the room where I'm talking to you and he sees me, I don't look like I'm happy to see him because we can tell when someone isn't happy to see us, can't we? Yeah. And so yeah. he says, yeah, so he says, you know, Maria doesn't look happy to see me right now. Maybe she's having a difficult time. I think I'll talk to her later. And he leaves the room. What's the next thing that I say? I'll say to you, see, he was going to try to micromanage me just now. And he knew he couldn't do it. So he left. So how others behave around me reinforces my conclusion. And so you see, this is a self-perpetuating circle. It goes on and on and on. Now the question becomes how to crack into it. Well, if I try to behave differently toward Jim, but I still see him as a micromanager, no matter how hard I try, my brain is still going to start gathering evidence that he's a micromanager. That is it. You know, what difference would, would you know, how, how to... How to change that, I guess. And exactly. Because I could come to you and I could say, you know, Marion, I know that you and I are dear friends and I know you have my best interest at heart. I've tried to behave as though Jim was not a micromanager. But you know what? It didn't work. Why? Because my brain still has the word micromanager in it. My brain is still gathering evidence that he's a mi micromanaging and 
furthermore, he's untrustworthy and he he doesn't like me. He'll never like me. The brain makes up all kinds of evidence. The only way out of it, Marion, is to shift the focus on my conclusions. Am I willing to transform my conclusions because whatever my brain focuses on, it will give me evidence to prove that that conclusion is correct. So I created a, uh, a tool that people can use to shift how their brain sees people. And I call it the green lens. Now, what I was just talking to you about was something called, I call the red lens. The red lens occurs when we say to ourselves or to other people, you know, there's something wrong with this person. I mean, don't you ever have that feeling? You, you might say, to, what's wrong with that person? You know, they don't have a clue. I do. And it's my job to fix them. I've got to fix them in some way. And well, I, I, I like I, the sound of it, the green lens, because even as kids, you know, when you put the different types of glasses, you see the world differently. You know, it, yes. could, be, it could be slightly greener, bluer, the yellow, more, more bright. And exactly. It, it makes a difference. So, it, how yeah tell I'll us tell about you the, the green lens yeah how I'll tell you how? yes you know the reason i was giving you red lens conclusions is i was wanting to you know really uh depict to our audience how easy it is for our brain to go into red lensing you know uh, especially if you come away from a conversation thinking boy that person is a drain on me they really drain me uh, that's what I call a red lens conclusion. Now, that's a green lens conclusion. Let's consider that lenses, like uh, a green lens, is not really green, Marion. It, it is a, a lens that filters out all other colors and just allows green in. And so, too, when we focus on a conclusion, the brain disallows or doesn't focus on anything else but that conclusion, all right? Mm -hmm. Great masters have known this. Wisdom teachers have known this throughout the ages, that whatever you train your brain to focus on, folks, your brain will give you evidence for. So I said to myself, Marion, I said, there are people I admire, people in whose presence there is a sense of trust and, uh, and goodwill, you know, and the sense that all is well. So instead of saying, how did they behave? I started asking, how did they see people? Hmm because how they saw people affected the evidence 
it affected their behavior, and that it affected people around them. So I call it my, the green lens. And for everybody here, this is the green lens. And I'm going to read it out to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to tell you how to get a hold of this yourself if you'd like to. But let me go through it with you. Mm -hmm. So number one on the green lens says, this person is a hero, whole and complete. Now, I got that from uh, a fellow by the name of Joseph Campbell, who was a, um, he, he was a historian, a mythologist, a great thinker. And he said, you know, the extent to which you and I can see our, ourselves as heroes on a journey is the extent to which we have a sense of meaning. And, and George Lucas uh, took uh, Joseph Campbell on and, as his mentor. And he was noted as saying, if it wasn't for Joseph Campbell, I never would have gotten the Star Wars trilogy off the ground. Because Joseph Campbell believes so strongly that we all are heroes, which is why we love heroes, because it speaks to us in our own heart, you see. And what if I saw everybody was a hero on their hero's journey? And whole and complete is a very interesting thing. It means there's nothing wrong with this person. If someone, Marion, if someone that I am leading is not successful in what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with them. It just means they have not yet acquired certain success skill sets. And if I can see that in other people, you see, I don't take into account, I don't do this diagnosis of them. I see them as needing skill sets, but there's nothing wrong with them. The second is this, this person has goals and dreams and a desire to make a difference. And I got that from Mother Teresa. You know, when she opened up her missionary in Calcutta, she would work with the people who were dying, who were just left by the wayside. You know, no one related to them at all. And she would take them in and she wanted them to know once, at least once before they died, that there was someone who saw them and they made a difference in someone's life. She wanted them to end their life that way. Now, when it comes to the workplace, let's spread this out. People don't leave our employment usually because they don't like the salary mm -hmm. or they don't like the hours. The reason they usually leave is because they don't have a sense that they're making a difference that their presence counts for something. And that's usually because of something that they've gotten into with a direct supervisor. So if you can have a direct supervisor using the green lens with people, you see, 
they uh, they can draw out the best from the person they're leading, and the person is more likely to stay. And this oh, is if very you see them, if you see them as heroes and if you see them as people as, that are complete and they have goals, your attitude changes. You radiate uh, that. Yeah. You know, it's you do. Like, uh, it changes your behavior. It's the four boxes. The next. This person has their own answers. Now, what we mean by that, um, <clears throat> I got this from looking at great teachers. You know, what makes a teacher great is not how much information they can give someone, but how they can draw out the person's wisdom, how they can encourage that person actually to draw out their own wisdom. Because when people are in an environment of acceptance, you see, and, and when they begin to trust, then they can look for answers. You know, if they're very scared, they can't access answers for themselves. But if I see that, you know, th there was a movie out called Stand and Deliver. It's about uh, uh, a teacher who went to East Los Angeles and uh, a very poor school and there were some uh, boys in a class that were very bad at math <clears throat> and he out of his teaching them he drew out their genius and they became uh, I think it was the U.S. champions in a certain math contest wow he believed they had their own answers you see Wow, just just that belief made made, mm -hmm. made a profound change so that means you you can actually does it mean you can train or help anyone, Maria? Uh, well, my answer is yes, with conditions. The question, of course, becomes uh, what was your relationship with them prior to adopting the green lens? You know, uh, but we can go on to that later. I'd, sure. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd love to, the fourth one, this is interesting. The fourth uh, point on the green lens, folks, is this person is contributing to me right now. I got mm. that from Nelson Mandela. Yeah, you know, I really um, honor Nelson Mandela for what yeah. he did, really. He's done you know, uh, it was interesting because, you know, um, he was in prison for 27 years. Well, and they had to give him new guards every three months or so. Why? Because they ended up liking him. Why? Because he saw how they were contributing to him. And in this movie, uh, uh, Invictus, you can see, uh, it was Life of Nelson Mandela, you can see him being so excited to be around this soccer team. He was even more excited to be around them than they were to be around him because they were really contributing to him, their bravery, their courage. Now, what if I saw that the person I'm working with is contributing to me in some way? And then the fifth part of the green lens is this person deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And I got that from the Dalai Lama for whom everyone has a Buddha nature. 
and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Now, the green lens. I've taught this to <laughs> thousands of people worldwide. Some of them really uh, great leaders in business. And uh, one multinational corporation out of all the things that they were taught in terms of how to communicate with people that they were leading, the thing that they said made the biggest difference was the green lens. Because when you train your brain, Marion, to collect evidence that this is true, it's going to affect your behavior, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm just thinking practically, how, how could we implement, you know, you're a leader of an organization or a team, what are the steps? What are the, uh, how can you implement the green lens? Uh, and let's say you have multiple managers that lead, especially in large organizations that they may have hundreds of managers middle. And I know often the key to the success, key to succeeding or to making a difference is getting the mid-level managers to buy into this, to really make a difference. Yeah. So uh, where do you start from that and how do you create th that, well, that process? Um, I've started at, at two levels almost at once. You first have to have the leader agree. You know, so you, you uh, uh, train the leader in the green lens and is, you know, ask would it be okay with you if we trained your middle managers in how to create trust? Because folks, the product, what happens when you practice the green lens, people start relaxing in front of you. They see that you are on their side. You're in their corner. You're not there to punish them or belittle them in any way. That you're treating them with dignity and respect. And the minute they see that, and this is box number three of the four boxes, in your presence, because you're behaving in accordance with the evidence that you're gathering about them, in your presence, they start to relax. And over time, this relaxation, as you continue to see them through the green lens, builds trust. And what is trust? Well, there are many definitions of trust, Marion, but one of the ones I love to go by is that trust occurs when you see that the other person has your best interest at heart. You know? I love the definition, in fact, and, and I think... Uh people can feel and sense when you are really interested in them. Yeah. Not when you just say, how are you? But you don't have time to listen to how are you? You know, it's like, uh, you know, more of saying it, but really living it. And um, I think uh, there's, of course, many philosophies and approaches to business. But when you really have someone's best interest at your heart, um, Sometimes people argue, yeah, well, what about if they use you? What about if, you know, does it work? Is it sustainable? There's so many questions and a lot of people quite rightly are finding out, um, is it scalable? It's just a lot of uh, uh, questions are coming out. 
Yes. Well, uh, those questions are normal and natural. Normal because it, that happens a lot in any system. And natural because people don't have to learn how to ask those questions. They kind of occur naturally. And what's happening is, so I, I, I want to take about uh, a 2,000 foot view of what's happening in any system. When you introduce something new, the first thing you're going to hear is all the reasons it won't work. Now, the, the Buddhists have a term for that. It, they called it monkey mind, standing for that aspect of the mind that is always chattering at us as it swings from doubt to worry and back to doubt again. And actually in my work uh, at the academy and um, uh, in my courses, I have a series of courses on the energy of money uh, to have people transform their relationship with the energy of money. Um, one of the first things we look at is this natural tendency of the brain to say, you don't understand. There really is a tiger outside of that cave. It's not gonna work. Let me tell you, we're not living in the 21st century. We're living 100,000 years ago. See, because the brain, <laughs> just the weirdest thing, I've seen this for thousands of people now, for 50 years, the brain still thinks we're back 100,000 years ago. That's its first. So when people say it, it's not going to work, they don't try to convince them. Very often, what I do in any system is I look for something called the early adopters mm -hmm. among the, uh, the middle managers. These are people who are intrigued and willing to try it. And Absolutely. when, yeah, and, and when I give, uh, or one of my colleagues that I've trained, when we give Green Lens training, because there's a training that goes along with it, it's a, a little more, uh, uh, has a little more data and, and examples than, than I'm able to give you right now. But uh, when you deal with the uh, early adopters and they see it works, then many of the other people in the second tier, which are, they're not early adopters, but they're willing to be uh, become interested in what others are doing. And then of course, there's a third tier of people who are not interested. They'll never become interested. You can't make them interested. And you just let them be, just let them be, you know? No. Uh, yes? On, on, no, no, this is a really, uh, very important because you'll always be people that will never be convinced but i think what is important is um, for the ones who really uh, um, want to try out and yes and, and show results i think the results yep. Yep. Uh, speak for itself and that can lead to more adopters and and on that point we have very interesting questions here um, from the audience and one of them is asking here the question is from angel uh, good of, uh, since we have limited cognitive resources during the day, how do we consciously maintain the green lens before the brain slips into the negative conclusions? Oh, what, what a, a question. fabulous question. Well, 
this is the answer, okay? Uh, if you want, I will give you a way to install the green lens on your phone. Please, okay? yeah, tell us how how for the audience can can do that. And so, uh, all you need to do is, I, you know, what I can maybe even can I go on to chat? Yes, good. Ace, we, we can post it. Yeah, we can post it uh, afterwards for the audience as well. Okay, Ace Coach Training dot com mm -hmm. forward slash green. That's it. Acecoachtraining.com forward slash green. And what this is, it's, it's not a true app. It's really a landing page that looks like an app. But the minute you get it, uh, you'll get a something that is a, like, uh, it looks like this. Let me see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what's your suggestion? Just to remind ourselves. No, so this, what or? you do. So mm -hmm. what you do is this. It's so simple. It's, it's too easy. Okay. All you do before a meeting, go to this app, turn it on, look at the five conclusions, read them. That's all you do. Read them. Just to continuously remind yourself of what you're cueing the brain. Is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not hard. It's so easy. Uh, all you're doing, it's like it's it's like an eyes open meditation. Or, or maybe you can print them on a piece of paper in in front of your computer or, or whatever you. Oh, people do that use. a lot. And okay. um, there was one. There was one man. I think I told you this story when we were talking earlier. Uh, he was the head of a, of a big corporation and uh, he had these board meetings and mm -hmm. they were always contentious. People were always arguing with each other, but uh, uh, I trained him in how to use the green lens. Well, he uh, opened up his phone to that app. He, he put it on his lap and he was in this board meeting and ever so often in the meeting, he would just glance down and read the green lens conclusions and then just glance back up and then glance down again and then glance back up. Now, at the end of the meeting, one of the people who usually was very argumentative came to him and say, he said, Jack, this was one of the best meetings we've ever had. What happened? Now, what happened was that Jack, in using the green lens, was creating, okay, was creating an environment within which people could begin to relax. Because you see, uh, it, it, and, and what works even, even better is if you could have a meeting where, let's say you have a meeting with 10 people and four of them are using the green lens. In other words, they're looking at it from time to time. You're going to get different results out of that meeting. If even four out of 10. Oh. Why? Because I don't want to get too, uh, I don't want to get too 
I don't know, magical sounding about this, but there is a kind of an energy that you consciously create when you're looking at people through the green lens and people can feel that energy. Well, it's a great, uh, definitely a, a great way to remind um, for the, for Angel, for the audience, try it out. And the best way oh. is just to see um, what, how it works for you and, and, uh, Thank you, Maria, for, for sharing this, this uh, link and, and app. Uh, we also have another question here from Stoyan. Maria, fantastic. Podcast. Please. Can you sh share limiting, a limiting belief that was really holding you back when you were younger that you managed to reprogram? How do we transform one into a more empowering one? Oh, how great. Uh, yes, I have a, uh, a, a quite a big limiting belief and it sounded like this, I can't, hmm. I just can't. Whenever something came at me, came toward me as an opportunity, my first response was, I just can't do it, I can't. Where did that come from? I don't know, but everyone, everyone on the face of this planet has at least one limiting belief. I, I call it your basic assumption your basic assumption is a decision you made when you were oh, 18 months to two years old about yourself, other people, or the world. And it's either a fight, flight, or freeze uh, comment. And mine is, is flight, I can't. Now, what did I do? Well, you know, the first thing you need to learn and I know this is going to sound a little funny, but go, go along with me, is to become compassionate with your brain. Compassionate with your brain. Your brain still thinks that we're living 100,000 years ago. Really. I, this is not a metaphor. It really, the brain thinks that we're living in a cave and it's going to try to look out for you. So a self-limiting belief really is your brain's attempt to keep you from walking out side of the cave in case there's a tiger. So the first thing is number one, have compassion with your brain. Number two, make friends with your limiting belief. Normally, when your limiting belief comes up, isn't it right when you're about to do something new, unique, or different, when you're about to do something that has a little risk in it, then boom, that limiting belief comes up? Isn't that so? Observe it. Give words to it. Make it very short. I can't. There's something wrong with me. Life is very hard. Uh... Uh, you know, there's this, what is yours? I don't trust people. That's one. And see what it is and know it for what it truly is. It's not a way to keep you back. It's your brain's way of trying to keep you safe. The minute you shift your conclusion to the one I just gave you, the limiting belief 
will become a friend. Now, I know that sounds weird, but it will give you evidence that you're about to do something important, new, or different. And you can wave at your limiting belief and keep going. Do we have time for you me know, to... I, I would like to also share something on this point, uh, how I approach when limiting belief comes in or doubts comes into my mind. Um, what, what I tend to do is everybody has doubt or may have a limiting belief yeah. in some shape or form. But um, I like what you what you shared, you know, making friends observe it. You know, it's, it's a great way. So not to not to be worried or afraid of it but, and just observe it. But the other thing that you could do is when doubt comes in or limiting comes in, you know, believe that that shows up, uh, take an immediate action to actually towards the direction of what you believe cannot do and see whether you can do it. Just take an action. Yeah, Check perfect. that. Uh, immediate action. And, and, uh, and when you have success, you silence the doubt. You, you, you can change your limiting belief by, well, I took an action. It worked out. It, it's just, you know, it may, it may not work out, which, which could have actually... Um, reaffirm what you believe so that's also a possibility but you know by taking an action and, and not worrying about it you know um, that okay well if oh, you know maybe maybe work out maybe not but let me see let me just try it out it might not be true because what you think and believe um, you can materialize it and attract it but also you can silence it and it depends on on really uh, um, how how brave and courageous and bring other things into your uh, challenge yourself really you know find a way to to do that and and when you when you achieve success you will see that you can change this you can really um turn it or talk to people who have done it who actually have done what you're looking to do and see it's not that difficult i think that what you said is absolutely brilliant you know, um, I, I often suggest to people, uh, take one small, sweet step, small, sweet step toward what it is you're afraid to do or think you can't do or doubt. One small, sweet step. Do we have enough time for me to give them one more principle that I use? Yeah, I would like to, sure, please, uh, you know, we, we're advancing quite a lot, but please share that principle. And, and there's also some final points I want to ask you about your wisdom and really talk about some of the, um, how the year went and, and really the, how people can evaluate the, their, their year and how they can prepare for the new one. That would be a great uh, wisdom to hear from you as well, from your experience, since you, you had a chance to work with many uh, leaders Yes. Well, uh, your greatest, I want to give you something that uh, I'm actually uh, writing about in my next newsletter. I have a newsletter that I publish. Mm -hmm. And um, so, Dag Hammarskjöld, who was the second Secretary General of the United Nations, Swedish, had a something that he lived, that he believed. And it goes like this. For everything that has been in my life, 
I say thank you. And to all that is yet to be, I say yes. That is one of the most courageous things I've ever heard. For everything in my life, I say thank you. Everything? Yes. Because aren't there some lessons I learned that made me stronger? And now, to all that is yet to be, I say yes. What does that really mean? And I carved out three words that I think captures what he means. Mm -hmm. And I want to give this to you folks because I've used it uh, much of my life. And these three words are this, I am willing. I am willing. Those three words are your superpower because it has nothing to do with how you feel, what you think, what you believe in the moment. Because you can be willing to do things that you're afraid to do. Yes? You can be willing to do things you don't want to do. You can be willing to do, Marion, what you're doubting about. So for me, four words, the final four words, nevertheless, I am willing. Nevertheless, folks, means with everything that's coming at me, not making anything less here. Nevertheless, yes. So I sit, down to, I sit down to write a newsletter real quick. I have a doubt. Oh, I, I can't do this. And I say, nevertheless, I'm willing. And at that moment, I have the power to do it. So in the new year, Practice not only the green lens, but practice these four words. Nevertheless, I am willing. When you come up against a doubt or a fear, something that you know you need to do, but you don't know if you have the power or the capacity, say, nevertheless, I'm willing. And notice the power it gives you. The, the thing I, I like to say to people about uh, capturing the new year uh, I tend to say to folks, don't make New Year's resolutions because one of the things that happens is after you make a New Year's resolution and then after 90 days, you're not doing it, right? And you feel guilty. And so the guilt keeps you away from doing it anymore. Look at some small, sweet ways that you're willing to be this year. Are you willing to practice generosity? How about compassion? How about uh, uh, being supportive? What qualities are you willing to practice this year? Things that you see other people have. Look at the people you admire. Always, always look at the people you admire and ask yourself, what qualities are they demonstrating? Because I want to leave you with a final thing. Whatever you see in another person is also true about you. Because if you love if you love people who are compassionate, it means you know what compassion is. And that means you have a receptor site for it in your heart. It means you know what it is to be compassionate. You are compassionate. So look at the qualities 
that people like, you know, Marion, for those of you who have, have been with Marion on this journey, what are the qualities that you really admire about him that you appreciate about this individual? Make a list, you know, I, I would, I always love this. Just make a list of the qualities and endeavor to demonstrate them in your life. See, is that an addition to setting goals? Uh, or a, Yes, or... yes. And, 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 you know, whatever goals you set, I tell people now, set small, sweet goals. Because we've learned to set huge, fantastic goals. And we've gone overboard. And it makes people stressed out, doesn't it? Make small, sweet goals that you can accomplish within 90 days. And then after 90 days, make some other small, sweet goals that you can accomplish. Because in the long run, the people who are most successful are not ones who set huge goals. They may have a big vision for what they want in the world and then small goals about how they're going to attain it. So make sure you're not overwhelming yourself with too much stuff in the new year. And finally, always seek support. Those of us who have gotten anywhere in life, it's because we've reached out to people and asked for their support. And there's nothing more validating you can do for another person than to ask them to support you. Maria, I, I just admire and honor you. You're so active, you know, still in, in, in this, in your career. And how, what is your advice to, to leaders who are, I mean, it's so interesting to hear, obviously, uh, your journey and your uh, you, me you mentioned more than 50 years of active yes. career yes. and then another 20 uh, you know uh, if if you don't mind sharing your your journey and how old are you with, with the audience and just to say hey what is if for, for listeners or leaders that are listening today what should they expect in their journey 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s i guess you know just thinking of, of that lifespan that that is you know how for them to be like a, a lifelong active lifestyle um you know and how how leaders could 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 achieve that in, in the long run well <laughs> you know if you and i had another three or four hours i'd be so happy to really go into a deep dive with you about that, because there's a lot I have to say. Uh, I, folks, I am 77. I'm about to be 78 in a month. And um, it's just a number. It's just a number. In your heart, you are ageless. You are ageless. In your heart, what you want most is um, to make a difference. Uh, and, you know, let me just put in a momentary plug, if it's okay. There are people who want to come study with me. And if you do, you can always go to acecoachtraining.com. And um, there's a course I teach called Mastering Life's Energies, in which I teach a lot of this stuff. But if you never come, look for ways at any age to stay relevant. That is to say, keep up with what's happening, make a difference, 
see where you can make a difference. The, the thing, the key to youth is seeing where you can contribute and doing it. You know, the people that I follow who left this planet when they were in their 90s, there's a couple of people who just did leave this planet uh, last week. One of his, uh, it's called EO, his name was EO Wilson, EO Wilson, just a, a, a fabulous scientific thinker. And he was uh, 101 when he passed away. Why? Because he was interested. He never saw age as something that had to govern his behavior. And that would be, if I could leave you with nothing else, just find ways that you know you can make a difference. Practice the green lens. Practice the four words I gave you. Nevertheless, I am willing. And finally, finally, live without regret. Meaning this, okay? Whether you're a leader, doesn't matter. For human beings, is there something you need to do or someone you need to interact with which if you didn't and maybe they passed away because many of us think about this now with COVID, yes, mm -hmm. they passed away or the situation went, uh, uh, they failed because you didn't give it something that it needed to have. The worst thing to have in life really is regret. So in the new year, who do I need to interact with? Who do I need to let them know that I care about them? Who do I need to, to acknowledge for the difference that they make in my life and other people's lives? Look at those questions. Ask yourself once again, is there something I need to do which if I didn't do it, I've experienced so much regret. Maria, and that will keep you young. Thank you so much for all this wisdom that you share. And for, for those of you who want to learn more, uh, please uh, visit uh, the uh, Academy for Coaching um, and Excellence, you know, and uh, the, um, where, where, where could they find you, Maria, for the, for the audience that may want to get in touch? Oh, absolutely. Um, the best is Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, at Ace Coach Training. If there's something that you'd like to talk to me about, if there's a question I can answer, and you can always email me. That's a real good way to get in touch with me. Maria at mariahnemeth.com. That's Maria at Maria Nemeth. You see it here, M-A-R-I-A-N-E-M-E-T-H.com. Write me. Great. Maria, thank you for taking the time and really sharing this uh, great insights and wisdom and the Green Lens tool. And uh, 
also uh, the four words that that people can practice <laughs> yeah. as well so really once again thank you uh for oh. joining us and, and god bless oh thank you for having me really you are just the best thank you so much thank you maria thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community first by taking care of yourself and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.